The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. As Jesus taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers they will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The Gospel of the Lord. For a clearer understanding of the character of the scribes of whom Jesus speaks in this passage, it will be helpful to give a description which will allow us a more accurate understanding of the poor widow's contribution to the temple treasury some of which is called, some of the explanation which is called from the Anchor Bible Commentary. In Mark, the scribes are the principal opponents of Jesus and they are frequently mentioned, 22 times in all. The present instance is the only recorded example of Jesus inveighing against the conduct of the scribes as distinct from their teaching. Although the scribes and the Pharisees are linked in the condemnation of legalism in Matthew, it is important to draw a proper distinction. Whereas the Pharisees had an established position and an honorable one, as interpreters of the law and its traditions, and were also regarded as highly patriotic. The scribes as bookmen were regarded mainly as recorders or collectors of opinions and ideas, and less authoritative than the Pharisees. As is often the case with those of lesser status, they are represented in the New Testament as not only argumentative, but given to ostentation to magnify their public image. Like a classmate of mine at the Webb School in Claremont, California, who, having failed to win an athletic varsity letter, 
a large red capital E, from his previous school, purloined one and injudiciously wore it to breakfast the day after Webb's football defeat by the Emerson School. (laughs) Beyond the issue of ostentation, Jesus condemned the scribes in that they are held responsible for the exactions which effectively destroyed widows' estates, all on behalf of a temple still in building and soon to come to an end. One of the salient features of Jesus' confrontation with the scribes in Mark is the connection made between them and the temple. The one may protest that the costs of the upkeep of the temple and its round of sacrificial observances were the concern of the clergy. Mark's gospel firmly lays responsibility for extravagance and excess at the door of the scribes and they are the enemies of Jesus before the clergy enter the picture. The scribes in and around Jerusalem are quite regularly associated with the clergy. Any challenge by Jesus to the temple system and its clergy is accepted by the scribes as a challenge to their standing. In this light, we are to understand the charge that the scribes offer long prayers, not that they are responsible for the worship and the liturgies of the temple, but that they they consistently urge upon people the fundamental necessity of keeping the interminable round of observances in being. Perhaps we ought to understand the phrase, for appearance's sake, not as an indication of pretense, but as a judgment by Jesus that the observances themselves were but an outward show without substance. The narrative of the poor widow's offering is, among other things, a continuation of the previous attack on the scribes and their part, as Mark sees it, in the whole official establishment of Judaism in Jerusalem. The judgment of Jesus is that the scribes were the leeches, were like leeches on the Jewish faithful, and not the least of their sins was their insistence on the support of the temple system and all that it implied, even to the sacrificing of widows' property. Jesus does not commend the widow at all for sacrificing all she had. Rather, the story should be read as a lament for a system which could end in the destitution of a widow. Now, part of us is attracted to system. 
while another part harbors an expectation which cannot be satisfied by a system, as in Tagore's aphorism, while God waits for the temple to be built of love, people bring stones. This was brought home to me some years ago on a Saturday morning in Berkeley, California, just outside the entrance to the Jesuit School of Theology. The previous evening, Raymond Brown, renowned commentator on the fourth gospel, had flown in to give a public lecture, and I just happened to meet him the following morning as I was coming back from a jog on Kleeberger Field. It also happened that I was to preach the Sunday sermon the next day at a local church on John's account of the feeding of the 5,000, for which I had figured out what seemed to me a brilliant explanation which discounted the miraculous element in the story. (laughs) On spying Professor Brown, I thought, what a perfect opportunity, opportunity to get a verification of my theory. Dr. Brown, to be sure, listened carefully, but when I had spoken, he contradicted me very forcefully regarding the multiplication of the loaves. He said to me, but they were expecting this. Well, I thought, back to rewrite. (laughs) Such expectation is displayed by both widows in today's readings. Marginalized women driven to put all their eggs in the basket of God's promise. Persons acting out of the only abundance they had abundance of heart. Speaking of expectation, by the way, the advertisements of our founder distributed for his mission talks often concluded with the exhortation at the bottom of the page, expect much. When operating at the margins of possibility, you're liable to be more ecstatic than cautious, and it might land you in trouble. Like Harry James's solo on Life Goes to a Party. You know who Harry James is, do you not? Oh, Harry James. Harry James was... Uh, back in the 30s and 40s, was a star trumpet player for Benny Goodman. And Benny Goodman got him started on his career at that point. But this was at the 1938 Carnegie Hall Jazz Concert. And uh, uh, about halfway through the concert, Harry James' solo on the number 
life goes to a party uh, is described was described in the liner notes of the album is like someone who rushes out onto an icy pond and discovering they ain't got skates. <laughs> Ecstatic behavior. By that point in the concert, the vibe was so hot that Harry James was possessed by it. And this is what Raymond Brown meant. 5,000 people possessed by the vibe of Jesus presiding at Passover. For sure they were expecting this. My God. Once upon a time, <clears throat> the philosopher Nietzsche came up with the insight that creation takes place in the realms of music. Creation takes place in the realms of music. And so I imagine the expectation of those in the presence of Jesus at Passover might have been a kind of creating musical event. Light opera at Passover. <laughs> now the only, in conclusion I must say, <clears throat> The only formula I can offer for reconciling system with expectation is that they must constantly be wrestled together. <clears throat>